A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 185 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me like that feeling of deja vu you get when following Quinlan Voss's adventures, the EU guru himself, the count of those two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Get it? Ah! Also joining us this week, we have the Star Wars Report 2nd Airborne Division's own Baron Administrator in the Clouds, host of Cloud City Casino, Michael Morris. Hey, what's going on, guys? Good to have you here, my man. Also rounding out our virtual table, the head of the Star Wars Report's original Rebel Roundtable, Mr. Jonathan Brenner. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. And you know what? These Clone Wars never seem to end. <laughs> No kidding. The Forever War. Wait, I think that name's taken somewhere. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, one thing to note here before we do get started, this is one of those episodes that you'll be finding in both the Star Wars Beyond the Films feed and in the Rebels Roundtable feed, because what we're talking about is, of course, going to be Dark Disciple, which we've talked about talking about for a while. That, of course, is based on unproduced Clone Wars episodes, which makes it the purview both of this show and of Rebels Roundtable, because most of that team was part of Republic Forces Radio Network, whose purview was the Clone Wars. And we're continuing that uh, tradition through Rebels Roundtable. So if you see this in both feeds, it's not a mistake. It is intended, just like with the New Dawn and such. at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we explore Christy Golden's first addition to the new canon of Star Wars stories, Dark Disciple. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you our quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. Before we get too far into this, let's make a quick note of what exactly it is that we're dealing with here. This is a novel, but it is considered part of canon, because it's a new novel. It is not considered part of the Legends continuity like, say, Son of Dathomir was. That gets carried over, not this. Uh, This and The Bad Batch are the two releases from the Clone Wars quasi-produced or unproduced items that have been released recently that only appear within canon instead of within Legends. Uh, This was actually four episodes originally designed uh, for the show Lethal Alliance, which is a familiar name for those who play video games for Star Wars, of course. The Mission, Conspirators, Dark Disciple, roll credits, 
Saving Voss Parts 1 and 2, then Traitor and The Path. The idea actually was that this was going to be split in half. So what you have essentially is the uh, Crystal Crisis on Utapau arc that we got on the Season 6 Blu-ray and on StarWars.com. That's followed by the Bad Batch arc that was released uh, through uh, Star Wars Celebration and eventually released on StarWars.com. Then you've got the first half, basically, of this book before it jumps ahead by months, which was the first four of those episodes that were that it's adapted from. Then comes Son of Dathomir in the middle, followed by the back half of this story. Uh, it is also led into by the story Kindred Spirits, also by Christy Golden from Star Wars Insider number 159, which just very briefly deals with the acquisition of an artifact that we wind up seeing Quinlan Voss perusing early in the book. So chronologically, this is the latest thing that we have in the Clone Wars era, at least for story group canon. It's uh, it's an oddity, to say the least. You know, the other cool thing about this was that Star Wars Celebration Anaheim, they had a panel, it was the Untold Clone Wars, uh, and they had scenes that are actually from the book. I mean, well, the book basically became based off those scenes, but it was really cool getting to see those in the book fleshed out more in my mind's eye because when we got to see them there at Celebration, they were just all those those quick still kind of animation and their lips didn't move, but you'd hear the actors talking and that kind of stuff. So you had a, a sense of what it was going to look like, but because it was never finished, it didn't feel complete. But the book... With your imagination involved, man, it, it was really cool to watch the characters come to life, uh, the, the verbiage and stuff. When I was reading each of the characters, it felt like it was actually the actors speaking in my mind. And there were so many angles about Quinlan Voss's character that when we get into the real spoilers and stuff that I really can't wait to, to touch on the most. But as a fan of Legends and the Quinlan Voss from before, I really, really enjoyed this version of Quinlan Voss in canon. You know, what I found while reading this book was I kept trying to figure out where in the story the episodes were broken up. Did any of you guys feel that same sort of thing? Oh, yeah. Not only did I wonder about it, I had to figure it out, right? Because in <laughs> summary on the timeline, I had to be able to split it up chronologically. I can't tell you where each of the eight split. I can tell you that it looks like the split in the first four versus the last four with Son of Dathomir in between is in the split between chapters 25 and 26. Mm. Interesting. See, that was one that never really struck me. I mean, I knew it was based off of them and I had a feel for when we kind of got into certain arcs based off of the titles of the arcs and stuff. But for the most part, I think I was more surprised by how long the book was chronologically. I mean, it, it felt like you were going anywhere from like four months to a year's worth of time by the time this book was over. And and I thought that was kind of cool. Like at first I was kind of like, well, you know, they're going to wrap this stuff up real quick. And then as it moved on, I'm like, wait, weeks have gone by, months have gone by and then that happened like two or three times and then by the time i got to the end of the book i'm like wow that was a pretty big chunk of the clone wars there i mean granted it focused mainly on just a small core set of characters but i thought that was a brilliant way to go about it though now i'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later in the episode but at times i think this book actually ran a little bit too long for me Interesting. I mean, can you elaborate? Like, uh, just certain parts where you felt like it should have shifted on? I mean, it just felt like there were certain storylines that didn't necessarily need to be there. We had, I mean, the reason I brought up 
the the idea that I was trying to figure out where the episodes were because there were so many climaxes during this story. You know, so many things. Okay, and it's going to end. Nope, no, it's not ending. It's going to keep going. And we're going to end now. Oh, no, we're And I kept, you know, I I found myself wondering a lot, okay, how how are they going to wrap this up? How are they going to deal with some of these things? Because as we know, as we know, you know, Quinlan Voss is in Revenge of the Sith. So I'm trying to think, okay, well, how much danger is this character in or how are they going to resolve this at the end of the book given all the twists and turns that this character takes? But at the same time, I kept wondering, I'm like, well, is it the same Master Voss? Because this guy's gone to a pretty interesting place and I don't necessarily see how he's going to come back out of this. And when we get into the spoiler discussion, I'll go into what my issues were, but I, I did have some issues with this book. See, those those were some things that arose for me as well as I was reading it. It was like, okay, that line of Kenobi's in the war room about Master Voss at Voss at, at Moss Pity. I'm like, you know, where is this going to be the hangup? Is this going to be the first we botched it in canon? But I like the way that by the time we got to the end of the story, it felt like it came full circle. And I know one of the reasons why I was really excited that Michael was able to make it here was he's got some particular issues with the book that he pointed out as I was reading it that made me stop and kind of reanalyze some of the stuff that I'd already passed. Uh, you know, I, I believe, Michael, you, you were reading the book like three weeks after I was, but you're burning through it as quick that we ended up ending about the same time. But the, the, the stuff with Anakin and the, and the council and stuff were, were other angles where I was like, is this going to be something they're going to trip themselves up with if they go too far down this road? Yeah. The, the Anakin thing was, was definitely one of many issues I had with what was going on. And I still not exactly certain why it, it, it seemed create. It seemed like the problem was created just to create the problem. I could I could not for the life of me understand why why that was why he had to be in the room. I mean, because yeah. I did go back over it, and there was a couple times where I was like, okay, he was in this scene, he was in that one, and he wasn't in this one, he wasn't in that one, he was here. And so I was like trying to go back and forth as because he had that, that that first one too. When I'm sitting there, I'm like, because it's like I believe in the first chapter or the second chapter, or the beginning of the second chapter, and Kenobi stops recording, and it's like Anakin's right there with everybody. And I'm like, you know, after you point it out, you're like, yeah, what is Anakin doing there in the middle of all this? But then I also I stop and think about in Legends, they had the High Council as well as a couple other councils, and I was kind of wondering maybe if that might have been something at work. Like, maybe Anakin was part of a council that wasn't really the High Council, but they didn't really give you that impression. It did leave you with the impression that this was the main Jedi Council and they were all there and Anakin was just being accepted in open arms, and and it does lead to some hiccups that we'll get into. No, don't don't you get it? Did you not see the parody video with the share music? That's why Anakin and Obi-Wan are inseparable. <laughs> Missed that one. Yeah, now now I need to go find this on YouTube, I think. It's the, did you believe in love thing that this time we will do it together it takes a whole new meaning. Oh. Hey, hey, it's not my joke. It was in the parody. Um, I don't know. I think that what we've got here is, and, I've, and I said this on on Facebook, I actually sent a message with the same content, essentially, to both Papa Hidalgo and Christy Golden. I think this here is the best of the new canon books so far. I think it's probably the first must-read 
that we've run into. If you're a fan of the Clone Wars, I would argue it's the first essential read that we have, though if you're not a fan of the Clone Wars, you could skip this one. I don't think that it would matter to you. In fact, if you haven't watched the Clone Wars, I'm not sure you get a whole lot out of this book. Um, I like the way it's set up. I was a big fan of Quinlan Vos's arc in the previous Clone Wars incarnation with Dark Horse. I think that was probably my favorite part of that entire era that was so intricately put together. If mm-hmm. you're going to throw it out, that was the part I was concerned about. And it's odd in a sense, I feel as though this book takes Quinlan and one, it rehabilitates him from the beach bum idiot that it felt like he was in the Clone Wars cartoon when we actually did see him back in, was it Hunt for Zero? Hey, like that's just your opinion, man. Yeah, the the, the dude bro guy. Um, and they managed to take part, and it seems like Katie Lucas, because she's the one who wrote the original scripts, um, was able to take part of the arc and the concept that we got of him from those that previous incarnation to give us sort of a similar, uh, somewhat more compressed version of the idea of him being the character who's you know, the good guy who falls and then must be redeemed. It's kind of that, that familiar arc. Um, so in that sense, it felt somewhat familiar. And I still think that to a degree, I prefer the original version, if only because it was longer and gave us more twists and turns in it, whereas this was basically eight episodes condensed into one novel, so we just get this one burst of that part of his story, and that's it. The, the whole character development is done. But it's Asajj that I think tips this in the direction of being that must-read and being something that I think uh, helps justify for those who either like the Clone Wars to say, hey, Clone Wars is better than what came before, or for those who are like me who like both of them to be able to say, you know what, I could take either or, I'm fine with that because we've got something like this. And of course, in canon, it's just this. In Legends, Maybe the other stuff exists, who knows, but this book doesn't, so it doesn't wind up coming in and changing anything, so it's sort of a best-of-both-worlds solution. Uh, Asajj, she's an unusual story, in that usually in Star Wars it's, here's a hero, they fall, they're redeemed, or here's a hero, they fall, they die. Here it's, here's a villain, and over the course of the Clone Wars, especially the last few seasons... We got to know her and see her development from a villain into someone who's sort of trying to find her place. And here, in many respects, she kind of redeems herself, uh, or at least finishes that transformation. It's different when we see someone who starts as a villain get redeemed, as opposed to someone that we know as a hero first. To me, that's the less conventional way to go about it, and a more interesting way to go about it. So, Asajj's story here, to, to me, puts this book over the top. You know, Nathan, I'll agree with you that Asajj's story and I guess her character transformation is what makes this book readable and interesting. But the character arc of Quinlan, I have to be honest, that's the one that I had problems with in this book. And I think we get some contradictions to what we already know not only in Clone Wars, but in the original trilogy. And I'll get to that again when we get into the spoiler section. But those were my problems with it. Those are the ones that I couldn't reconcile. So while I understand, and I, I've always liked the character of Asajj Ventress, and I th- think this really gave her some more depth and dimension, I didn't necessarily like... Well, I won't say I won't. Li- I didn't like what they did with Quinlan Voss. I didn't like 
necessarily always how they did it. Mm, that's a fair assessment. I, I think I'm more in Nate's camp where I really enjoyed this. I too think it's an essential read, especially if you're someone that likes Asajj Ventress's character. Uh, I, I think that, you know, this, this book did for her what Son of Dathomir failed to do for Darth Maul. Uh, you know, I, I, I liken when we did that episode that it should have been called Talzin's Tale, <laughs> you know, but this one, it did a very good job of of working with the character, doing what I knew about this character from, you know, seeing her on the TV shows and stuff. But also the other stuff, the other backgrounds and stuff like that, that we knew from Legends and stuff. But they had some really great little zinger lines and stuff. And and again, every time I heard Asajj Ventress's character talking, I heard the actress's voice. So it, it was like there was this whole new depth to the character. So I don't know when when I was listening to it, like there was the the aspect of the romance working back and forth. Like I don't know if I was geared up to it because I knew it was coming or if it was just one of those aspects of the dialogue, but it was one of those things where as it first started, Asajj's character was the one I was kind of hoping she was going to hook up with Voss more than I worried about Voss hooking up with her. I don't know. It was was just a weird angle. And as the book went on and the way the relationship built and stuff, it pulled me in. Now, Nate, you brought up, you know, that, that you think you'd still probably hang with legends more. And I'm of the opinion. I think I'm completely on the fence. I could really follow either way. There are aspects of the, the story that legends told that I really liked, but, but there were also ones that for this, I really felt like it was really dialed into what we needed to see from the character. Uh, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Yes, my only comment to that before we move into spoiler territory would be that uh, I think, and, and this kind of goes back to what Jonathan was saying, I think, possibly, uh, when it comes to the way that Quinlan was handled, I think that I would be as on board with it uh, as as you are and I again I really really like this story it's my favorite book of the new canon so far hands down but I think that what we've run into here is kind of that rushed Clone Wars version of storytelling in some senses not only is it a compressed story arc for him there are several times where I'm not quite sure what's going on with Voss uh, in fact, before recording this episode, for probably the third time I had to sit down and go through my own summary and skim through the book again to figure out when the hell is he a good guy? When is he falling to the dark side? When mm-hmm. is he lying to himself? When is he telling... Just... There, to, to the story arc, and trying to figure out what are his motivations at any given point in time, based on what we know by the end of the book, still isn't entirely clear. And that, I think, makes for that difficulty in fully being able to accept this as on par with the previous arc. There's the time compression, plus you've got that. But again, this is the only arc that has existed within story group canon. This doesn't exist within Legends, so it's not really a clash. It's just that that's what people are going to constantly compare this to, because it's Quinlan. Yeah, I I totally agree with what you're saying there, Nathan. That was definitely one one of my feelings through reading through the book is that I felt like they needed to kind of stop and actually flesh out some things more to actually give you, you know, the, basically it seemed like, well, why is, you know, why is the, why is Voss doing this? Well, because that's what he needs to do to get to the next section of the book rather than, you know, saying, well, it's in his character. This is, you know, you've went down this path. It was just like, well, we need him to be here right now in the story. So, you know, that's where he's going to be. So just accept it. And, um, that was frustrating for me, to say the least. 
but uh, overall as the uh, seems like you guys all liked the book overall um i think that's going to make me the villain of this episode maybe uh you can call me admiral enigma but uh i didn't like it i really didn't care for this book at all we've analyzed their attacks sir and there are spoilers should i have your ship standing by evacuate in our moment of triumph i think you overestimate their chances Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Sort of a brief summary here, certainly not hitting all the twists and turns of the book, but the general gist for those who haven't read it or haven't read it in a while is that the Jedi Council decides basically to end the war by assassinating Dooku. And to do this, they decide to call upon the skills of Quinlan Voss. And who better to get close to to Dooku than someone who knows his patterns intimately and was essentially his apprentice for a while, though not an official Sith apprentice, Asajj Ventress, who at this point is still working as a bounty hunter. Uh, the two wind up working together when Quinlan Vos goes undercover, pretending not to be a Jedi, but she sees through that shtick immediately, it seems. Um, they work together as bounty hunters. He finally reveals his true nature as they get closer and start to, to be a little bit towards romantically involved and then eventually really romantically involved. And they continue working together to try to bring down Dooku as he is drawn more into the feelings between them moving away from the Jedi Code toward attachment. We see them make a failed attempt to take out Dooku during which Quinlan is captured. Asajj makes one attempt to try to rescue him using the group of bounty hunters that we saw back when she was in the Clone Wars as a bounty hunter uh, led by Boba Fett. Unfortunately, by that point, Quinlan doesn't want to be saved because Quinlan has been given... Master Tholm's lightsaber. Yes, Jedi Master Tholm is still Quinlan's Jedi Master in canon, just as he was in Legends. Only in this case, rather than living throughout the war, what we have is an instance in which he was brutally murdered during a mission that Quinlan was supposed to be on, but the Jedi Council reassigned him at the last minute. Now, Asajj had originally told him that Dooku had killed his master. Only when Quinlan, who has the psychometry powers, touches the lightsaber of Thulm, he realizes, no, it wasn't. Instead, it was Asajj. She's been keeping this from him, waiting to tell him at a later time, not wanting to damage their relationship. Only now, it seems to drive Quinlan toward the dark side. So he refuses to be rescued, drives them away. We then jump months ahead, and all of a sudden, there is this new separatist Admiral Enigma on the scene, who the Jedi realize appears to be Quinlan Voss himself, fallen to the dark side, working with Dooku. The Jedi decide to go on their own mission to try to save him, which in this case is going to involve Asajj again. Uh, long story short, they bring him back into the fold. Asajj sees the darkness in him. Nobody else seems to, so they sort of write off her concerns. They try to bring him back into Jedi missions. They tend to keep going wrong or being very convenient for the Separatists, suggesting that he might be a traitor, which gives them a chance to sort of test him, send him back on his original mission to go after Dooku, and let's see what happens. Will he turn traitor? Will it turn out he's always been with Dooku since his capture? Anakin and Obi-Wan observe part of that mission where Quinlan appears to attack Dooku, but only after appearing to be his ally, basically saying now that you know, I was going to become the Sith Apprentice. Now I'll just kill you and become the Sith Apprentice. But no, says Dooku, you need an audience. I'll introduce you to Sidious. And so on and so on. 
Uh, Quinlan will later say that he's trying to have this plan to destroy the Sith by getting close to them, very much like his plot in Legends. Only, to what degree that is true is kind of up in the air by the time the story is over with. In any event, the fact that he has turned to the dark side, he was at least temporarily working with Dooku, causes the Jedi to arrest him. He winds up kill he, he and Dooku, they wind up killing their jailers and escaping with the help of Asajj, who's kind of caught in the middle of all this, not quite sure what's going on, and really not happy with Dooku escaping with them. Eventually, there is a crash as a pursuit takes place, and we find Asajj, Dooku, and Quinlan alone inside a building that is starting to come down around them, and in some final... Acts of extreme emotion, we see Dooku attempt to kill Quinlan, even after basically convincing Asajj that yes, he's gone to the dark side. He tries to fire a huge blast of force lightning to kill Quinlan. Asajj sacrifices herself, stepping into the way, taking the bulk of the blast, and it is her sacrifice, essentially, that winds up bringing Quinlan back to the light. He realizes what Asajj had already figured out, and even Yoda, who apparently now has the power to touch someone and sense whether they've gone to the dark side, uh, to eat or sense secrets people are hiding. Uh, yeah, they're souls. Yeah, they're souls. That he actually had gone to the dark side, but he hadn't admitted it to himself. He believed everything he was doing was for the right reasons. But not like Anakin for the right reasons of the Republic, more like the Anakin that he wouldn't admit to himself. The, well, I'm not doing this for this greater good because it's the right thing. I'm doing it selfishly for this woman that I love. In this case, it was Quinlan for Asajj. Um, by the time it's over with, we wind up finding Asajj buried on Dathomir, uh, along with the other Night Sisters and such, sort of returning home. We find Quinlan brought back into the Jedi, and he's going through rehabilitation, so he can't eventually show up at Ba's pity. The idea being that the Jedi should never have started the idea of assassinations uh, going towards Dooku, so in a sense, his fall was at least partially their fault. So there is hope for redemption for Quinlan as the story wraps up. Like a lot of twists and turns in there that hasn't been mentioned. It is a very complex story for something based on the Clone Wars, but that's the general gist. A rise and fall of Quinlan, all for the love of Asajj and a final sacrifice for her. Yeah, I mean, when you said long story short, you're not kidding. I mean, there are so many side tangents, little trivia bits, little gems and stuff like that which i which i think jonathan you know in the spoiler free part you talked about it going on too long that could be part of what you're leaning on there i think for me i really enjoyed it though i mean i was going through this book and doggering all these little one-liners and things like that i mean page 55 there's a, a great little part where you know quinlan's trying just to kind of saddle up and, and become her bounty hunting partner and uh you know he he walks up to her he followed i think you'll find i'm up to the task he said uh, ventress glanced down at him and noticed that he was appreciatively eyeing her derriere that won't be happening she said dryly i don't mix business with pleasure you don't know what you're missing he insisted and there were little things like this where i'm like whoa 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 whoa! what has voss done in the name of the jedi council while he's on these undercover missions uh but there were all, all these little things like that that i'm dogging the heck out of but quinlan you should be the one who doesn't know what he's missing right you have been a jedi for all your life aren't you not supposed to be doing that well and there was the angle of of like 
when he comes back to the, the the temple and how it's kind of like a fraternity for him, you know, he was raised there his whole life. So he's kind of like Mr. Popular there and he kind of feeds off of it. it there, there were some really cool moments of Quinlan that made you feel like the book was equally about him. But I truly think at the end of the day, this book is 100% Asajj Ventress's story with him being the love interest. It allows him to take more of it. But at the end of the day, he's her love interest is how I felt like it was when it was all said and done. Like, you know, when, when it gets to the point where she's like, there's still darkness. How come any of you can't see this? You know, there were moments where I was really feeling for her. And I'm just like, you know, like I said, at the beginning, that, that angle of where I wanted her to hook up with him more than I wanted him to hook up with her. And it was really weird. Cause I was like, it, it, it seems so different from the Asajj Ventress. I remembered in dark horse comics versions, you know, like, there was never this romantic angle that I saw there. I mean, there was always the, the banter between Kenobi and her and stuff like in betrayal where Kenobi had this, this fondness for her, but the fondness that he had for her in this, the way that Christy golden shaped it when, when Kenobi is giving up his advice to Voss about how to handle Asajj, I thought it was brilliantly played. And, and the fact that even Anakin has some spurring little uh, jives with the whole flirting back and forth and stuff. Like I, I thought that was a, a brilliant way to play these three characters the way they were played back when canon included legends in his backstory to a degree so i I thought that was a really cool way of of kind of fuzzying the line for fans like me that were having a really hard time letting go of characters they love and embracing new versions of them i felt that this book went a long way in bridging the two worlds for me i don't know about the rest of you guys well i'll say that i I enjoy the character of Asajj much more than I enjoy the character of Quinlan in this book. And I I think you're right. It is more Asajj's story. Now, when you break down the book, the, the beginning part, I think, up till the point that Quinlan reveals himself to Asajj that he's a Jedi, I really, really was going with this book. I really, really enjoyed it. But then after that, I found my enjoyment going back and forth because I felt like we kept retreading the same ground over and over and over. And I don't know. I just had questions a lot of time about Quinlan's motivation. Uh, Why would he just accept that? Yes, he has to go to the dark side to defeat Dooku. I mean, it seems the way that it's, it's portrayed, it seems like a really quick leap. I think I would almost require some more explanation of why he felt it was necessary to go there. And I know the whole bit on Dathomir starts it, but this is somebody who's been raised in the temple. He's been raised in the light. He knows nothing else. He makes a really quick shift. And that brings me to one of my major problems with this book. In the original trilogy, Yoda states that once you start down that once you start down the dark path forever will it dominate your destiny consume you at will meaning that they can't come back now yoda is integral in this part at looking at quinlan's redemption so there's inconsistency there it doesn't work because that being said he he wouldn't have said that to luke if he had known that quinlan could come back or that Quinlan did come back. It, it doesn't make sense to me. And that kept ringing very, very false. That's the same thing as, you know, the last of the Jedi will you be and whatnot. Um, and then, of course, that question of, well, wait a second, what about 
Ahsoka being out there? What about Kanan and Ezra being out there? What does that mean for them? Uh, I would agree it's an inconsistency that they probably are going to need some type of way to rectify in the future, unless they're simply going to say, I mean, this is essentially him being dogmatic. It's him not saying, well, there were, it's him not saying, well, there were a few uh, exceptions in the past. It's him basically saying, you know, don't go towards the dark side. We can't afford to lose Luke. Therefore, we're not going to give an asterisk to what he's saying. It's just going to kind of have to go with the party line, essentially. Uh, I think, though, yes, he makes a quick transition. I think that is a Lucas-ism. I mean, you think about Anakin in Revenge of the Sith without the Stover effect in reading the novel. He sure as hell seems like he makes a very quick transition to, you know, I pledge myself to your teachings because I just screwed up and killed Mace. My bad. Or helped you kill Mace. Um, but I think it's easier a lot of times for Star Wars fans to accept that idea of him being willing to sort of learn the dark side to fight it from within. Because within Star Wars, though not in canon, that has been sort of a running theme. And we have Ulick Keldroma does it and winds up becoming the apprentice to Exar Kun back in Tales of the Jedi. Luke does it in Dark Empire. Um, it's this kind of ongoing theme of how Jedi think that they can dabble a little bit in the dark side and have it turn out okay, that, you know, you can just use it a little. Even Anakin, to a degree, is saying that. He's pledging himself to the dark side, but when you get to the end of Revenge of the Sith, when he's talking to Padme, he's not talking about being evil and dominating the galaxy. He's basically saying, look, you know, I can overthrow him. I'm not actually going to follow this Sith Lord. I can get rid of him, knock him off, we'll rule the galaxy the way it's meant to be. Everything will be great. This is for the greater good. Um, so in a sense, even he's doing it at least for that reason in part. Uh, it just seems as though, because this is something that, you know, like we haven't seen Quinlan much beyond this book, and he doesn't get a lot of heavy characterization. He gets some. Most of his characterization tends to come after, though, after he's revealing himself, that it feels like a very quick transition. But I'm not sure that that's necessarily to the detriment of the story, at least for readers who were reared in legends, because I think we just kind of accept that now as par for the course, that oh, of course they might try to do it from the inside. Duh. Well, and Ventress warned him, too, about the dark side and how she walked the knife's blade for so long and had to turn her back completely on it. Uh, but, but Jonathan, you bring up that that Yoda quote, and that's always something I always think about, too, because you know when he's saying it to Luke, in the novelization of Return of the Jedi, when Vader and them are talking about the sister, you know, and Luke gets all angry and comes at him. I mean, in the book, they were like, and then Luke snapped. You're like, whoa, Luke went to the dark side. Wait a minute, what did Yoda say? And I, that was always something I always was wondering about, you know, in Legends. was like, this is why Luke's always never getting a, a happy ending, man. He should have never struck out in anger. <laughs> of course, it could be as simple as, forever will it dominate your destiny, in that you will be carrying the guilt and the scars from this forever, whether you're somehow someday redeemed or not, that you will be forever changed. To an extent, you could make that kind of argument, although that's basically kind of a general argument for any transformative time in someone's life, as the psychologist Jonathan knows. Well, I took it different. I know. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I kind of took it a little differently. I don't believe that you... I. Let me restate that. I don't think that you can't recover at least partially from dabbling in the dark side. I think, like you said, throughout Legends, it's pretty apparent that this has occurred. What I have an issue with is that Yoda says it in Empire Strikes Back to Luke. So in Return of the Jedi, Luke 
most definitely. I think anybody could watch that and say that he he at least touches the dark side to defeat Vader, but then rejects it. And we know that Vader at the end renounced the dark side and redeemed himself. That's the that's the whole arc. However, it just contradicts what Yoda's experience or, you know, what happens with Voss contradicts what Yoda tells Luke. So either Yoda is talking out his butt, which I could kind of believe because I think, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, everything depends on your own point of view as Obi-Wan has said, but it just, it, it diminishes Yoda to me a little bit. It's like, okay, well, maybe Yoda isn't the all-knowing, all-seeing Jedi Master that we kind of thought he was, which bothers me because I always liked the idea that Yoda was somewhat infallible, at least in the original trilogy. Well, see, here's here's the thing that I have with it. I I just I'm gonna go with Yoda talking out his butt because we we have to sort of think back to you know what this is about. Oh, assassinating, you know, assassin assassinating Dooku, right? And then at the end, they're like, okay, guys, it got a little crazy. It got out of hand. We're never gonna do that again, right? Right? Okay. And then we go into Revenge of the Sith, and it's like, oh. Oh, um, Anakin's turned to the dark side, and you know, and, and Sidious is is that um, you know he's he's the Sith Lord. So I'm gonna go kill him, and you go kill Anakin, and then we're good. And it's like, you know, that to me, I'm sorry, I don't see the difference between that and uh, what Quinlan was sent off to do. Like they both seem pretty much the same. Um, and then you're like, okay, well, maybe they, you know, they learned again later. No, no, because they say, you got to go kill Vader now. So they, for what, 40 years, they're saying, no, go kill, uh, go assassinate somebody. And they never seem to learn. Which makes Anakin's comment about it being not the Jedi way even more ironic. It's like, it's like one of those dominoes falling into place for him in Sidious's camp, you know, he's, and seeing the Jedi would be against this. And yet they were just doing it like not even a month and a half ago, man. They're such hypocrites. I'm so, I'm done. Take the throw my lightsaber. I'm out of here. And Obi-Wan had a girlfriend. What the? Yeah. Um, Hold on. Can I, can I, can I put something in here just before you move on? Yeah. No? All right. I said yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, but the other Michael, something that you brought up made me think. When Yoda and Obi-Wan discover what Anakin has done, if they had had the experience with Quinlan that he could have been redeemed, why didn't they Yoda and Obi-Wan go, "Okay, you know what? Let's team up, go take out the Emperor, and then we can redeem Anakin." Instead, they just basically give him up. They said, nope, sorry, can't save him, got to kill him. Or you yes. can go the other route and gone and both of them tried to bring Anakin back and the three of them go after Palpatine. That has always been one of those things where, and I hate to say it, but I, I'm in your camp. 
Jonathan, where I feel like Yoda is the infallible, but I think that that is his flaw. That that the the pride he has in his abilities, like when they're talking about when he when he touched Voss and he was able to see his soul and how everyone in the room, no one would question it. You know, it's like it's like oh well, he's nine hundred years old, so well clearly he knows what he's talking about. But nobody stopped to think about the fact that he might have lived on the planet where he only had to be on there for five minutes to be nine hundred years old. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's that angle too. I think part of this, though, I mean, this is a Lucas theme. One of the things he tried to show when it came to the Jedi Order, I mean, in the prequels, he wasn't just showing how a republic gets corrupted to become an empire. He was showing how a religious order can get so dogmatic, uh, so tied into their way, so myopic, and then sort of thrust into an unusual situation that they, they sort of believe in their own righteousness, and in doing so, they miss things. They misinterpret things. And they stick to their dogma oftentimes even when that dogma is flawed or doesn't really necessarily fit the situation. Now, does that necessarily give reason for Yoda to sometimes contradict itself? Maybe, maybe not. But I would say that if there is a contradiction there, to some extent, I could go along with it because it seems like that is something that is built into the prequel era, the failings of the Jedi, the failings of the Republic and just the idea of dogmatic systems. Part of Lucas's idea of bringing in the force into star Wars was to have some type of universal spiritual thing that could tie people together that didn't necessarily have a lot of dogmatic aspects to it. There's not a certain type of clothes. You have to wear a certain type of prayer. You have to do a certain holy book you have to read so that it could appeal to all. But this is a guy coming out of a time when dogmatic institutions were constantly being challenged as he was creating star Wars and then, of course, he's creating the Clone Wars, and the team behind the Clone Wars is working on it in a time in which dogmatic religious views, you, know, you name it, whether we're talking the abortion debate in the U.S., whether we're talking about, uh, you know, eventually it's you know, other issues, Tiny. That's probably the biggest one in the U.S., or the idea of left versus right as things were splintering 2008 to now. We're much more divided than we were, and some of that is a uh, religion versus not type of concept. And, of course, we're in a world now where you have one particular religion— where extremists from that religion are blowing people up constantly. Um, so you've got this sort of sense here where here's a guy who looks at dogma not necessarily as a good thing. And here's Yoda, his tragic flaw being dogmatic. Just saying, you know, you know, unfortunate that you rushed to face Vader, but it winds up eventually working out in the end. Yoda sort of... We come out of the, the original trilogy thinking Yoda is this wise sage who, you know, this is the guy we should listen to. You know, do or do not. There is no try. Whoa, that's deep. I'm not sure it really makes entire sense. Kanan tried to make sense of it in Rebels, but he's still a flawed character. He's still, in a sense, more human than we ever gave him credit for. I mean, Kenobi's the only one that is morally straight on this issue, which is funny when you think about Luke's I'm journey. Sorry. I'm sorry, we were just talking about modern religious controversy and stuff, and you just said he was straight. <laughs> Ooh. It's Ooh. Too easy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Please continue. Uh, you're evil. Well, it, it's just weird because in the Luke aspect, it's like, you know, Ben passes on and he's like, hey, Yoda, Yoda's the man. You know, that's who you need to see. And in, it's funny because it's like Ben has the ability to visit Luke as a force ghost and continue the training. Ben is clearly the best choice overall morally when it comes to these kind of things. Ben is is closer to what the Jedi should be than even Yoda is at this point, and yet we don't realize that. And I, you almost have to wonder if that's because of Qui-Gon. 
Yeah, but see, Luke couldn't put Force Ghost Obi Wan in his backpack for training, so that's that's why he had to go with Yoda. <laughs> yeah, those cells ain't gonna go. I would agree that you're right. It you've got Quinlan as sort of the the epitome of a non dogmatic Jedi, someone who's willing to think outside the box, and and it allows. It's interesting you see that, and that allows Obi-Wan to necessarily be a little bit different, a little bit more accepting of Anakin uh, and his eccentricities, which either makes him a great teacher for Luke, or you could say helps give Anakin too much leeway and, and gives rise to him possibly being dark. You take it one step back, who is it that trained Qui-Gon? Dooku, who is so anti-dogmatic and so much of a rebel that he breaks away and becomes a Sith Lord. Um, it's that fine line between what counts as as rebellion still with a moral code that has an ethical center versus something that eventually becomes more self-serving um, uh, or, or blind to what ethics is supposed to be. It's, there's some fascinating ways to dig into them, but I think we're probably straying a bit beyond the side. Let me toss out yeah. an ethical question to you guys that is relevant to the story and the broader canon. Here we have the Jedi sanctioning an assassination. They do eventually decide that it's wrong. You know, make, make the arguments of how it fits in with the other stuff. As far as the films go, you, we can argue that all day. But I find it interesting that while the new canon here is being built, or story group canon is being built, here's the Jedi being against assassination. And just very recently in Skywalker Strikes, the first Marvel Comics arc, we had the surprising moment when Chewbacca has a chance to get to safety when Darth Vader shows up during one of their missions, and rather than ordering him to safety, when Han does, Leia grabs the comic and says, you see Vader, you take the shot. You do not let him get away, do whatever you can, because we've got to take him out. Um, I find that an interesting contrast, and I wonder if to any extent that was on purpose. Probably not. I'm betting it was probably just a coincidence, but it's very interesting that the issue popped up within a matter of, what, a month or two in two different eras with very different perceptions on the idea of assassination as a tool of war and political upheaval. Man, if oh, that was intentional, okay. that would be awesome. Could you imagine if they were like, okay, we're going to make Leia the Punisher? <laughs> Wait a minute, but there's a third example of that. Go to Dark Lords. They're trying to assassinate. The good guys are trying to assassinate Vader and the Emperor. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Freedom fighters, not terrorists. But yes, you're right. So th there seems to be a theme going on in Star Wars right now, guys. Yeah. I, and, and Aftermath is kind of, you know, if you look at the overall plot of that, it's kind of in the same general vicinity. Spoilers! Sorry, I haven't finished reading it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Aftermath is not in the same general vicinity. Um, um, this one's good. Hey. Um, I, oh, what? I like Ouch. it. Ouch. We'll talk about it later. I actually think the story turned out fine, just not consequential. Um, all right. On an issue you guys have brought up previously, I'm trying to make sure we hit points without running out of time here. Um, I find it interesting here that, you know, Asajj is getting drawn to this into working with the Jedi, and we mentioned how that's a little bit unusual. And I find it interesting that the final hook to get her involved in trying to rescue Quinlan when she doesn't believe Quinlan can be rescued, um, part of this deal is, oh, we'll give you a pardon. It strikes me that basically doesn't that mean that Ahsoka went back on her word at the end of season five, that she got helped by Asajj, she cleared her name, and the deal for helping clear her name was that Asajj would talk to the council and get her a pardon. And now instead it seems as though she got back, she was found not guilty in the trial because Barris 
showed herself. And the first conversation is, later, guys. Never once seeming to apparently mention Asajj and get her that pardon that was promised. So here's Asajj having to get what she should have already gotten. Anybody else feel like that was an oddity um, or, or p- perhaps an inconsistency if this was going to be an episode of the show because it seems as though it should have already happened? You know, I hadn't even really thought about that, but you're right. It is an inconsistency. But at the same time, I mean, Ahsoka was too busy packing her bags, I think, to ask the council to give Asaja pardon. Yeah, there was yeah. a lot emotionally going on in that. Yeah, I think she pretty much uh, she threw up the fingers and was out of there. So I, I, the way I took it was she didn't, she never did uh, keep up her end of the deal. You know, one thing is we're talking about relationships here, also that sort of stood out to me. I don't know about you guys, and I actually asked my wife about this before we recorded. I never thought of the way that they handled Asajj in Clone Wars was ever that she was supposed to be this attractive character. They didn't. I didn't think of her as over-sexualized, but I think mainly that was because we were looking at how much they over-sexualized Ahsoka, and at least Asajj was an adult, so it was sort of like, we'll put her on the back burner. Uh, my wife thinks that, to a degree, she was sexualized. She certainly had a lot of the flirty banter with Obi-Wan, mm-hmm. with her... And there's always that question, well, was there a history there? What the heck is going on? This seems to have, have worked out that no, there wasn't a history. They just that's just kind of like the banter that had developed between them and such. But I find it interesting that Quinlan meets her and just like, damn. And <laughs> we're going through and she's talking about what is the, the there's the wink and the nod and the full-on gambit. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure the full-on gambit should work with somebody because she she's to me, she's never been this character. That we were supposed to think of that. We were supposed to think of her as creepy. She was this villain in the shadows, not someone who's supposed to be able to draw that kind of attention and use those kind of wiles, unless it's just that thing where, well, <laughs> Quinlan's a Jedi. It's It's been a while. In fact, it's probably been most of his life, so he'll hop on anybody. Did, did you guys see it as <laughs> kind of weird how all of a sudden Asajj was supposed to be this very attractive, sexualized character when... To, to fit the needs of this story when it didn't seem like that was the way that they'd ever played her before? It's yeah. in canon. It seemed I, like she grows hair and suddenly her sex appeal goes up like the Grinch's hearts. <laughs> oh my god, you just set up a puberty joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael, you were saying, about to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that was also one of my huge frustrations with this. Um, you know, for, for her to to be who she was in Clone Wars and, and was one of my favorite parts of Clone Wars and the reason I picked this book up to, you know, I mean, I felt like they beat you over the head with it. Like, and remember, she's attractive, you know, and I'm just like really this is this is what we're gonna do and then they just kind of keep building it up and it wasn't just Voss like she's talking about how you know she's like oh well, I'm you know I always use my feminine wilds to um to complete the mission or whatever you know and it I was just like what no stop so so Michael you, you're telling me you were expecting like a little Ugonaut to come out and go yeah but don't you know you're a butterface <laughs> I, Ouch. Ouch. It, it wasn't that's, even that. It wasn't even that. <laughs> well, I, I was. I kept looking at the poster. So, so when I was at Celebration Anaheim, I, I managed to score out and get one of the signed Christy Golden posters. She signed it for me, and I have it up in my bedroom. And as I was reading it, I kept looking at that and and the look of her on that. And I'm like, I was thinking, you know, 
in my experiences on this earth in 35 years, I've watched some women based on their hairstyles go from whoa to damn to woohoo. And it's all based on how they've cut it, styled it, or colored it. And so, you know, I guess I'm kind of willing to overlook Asajj in this general vicinity because I'm like, you know, I've seen some people that I'm like, well, you're going to, she must be amazing. And now I got to keep it. It makes me wonder a little bit if this was something that Christy Golden played up a little bit. It makes me wonder if we would have seen quite as much of that kind of talk had this actually appeared as actual episodes of the show. Like, how much is a deviation? That was my phone. Uh, how much was that a deviation away from what was perhaps already planned? Um, and at the same time, would they have toned that down in terms of the characterization of her and given us another way of bringing those two together without it initially having to start with the the, the flirtatious side of things or the sexual side of things to make it more of sort of a their, their bonding first? Kind of the way that we see in other Star Wars stories a lot of times they bond first, like Han and Leia, and then it's, oh, well, now I really do think you're hot scoundrel kind of thing. See, I don't think that could have worked. Like, I mean, think about they, they censored out the kiss of death that she gave one of the clone troopers. I mean, well, if that was too much. <laughs> what I thought would have been an interesting way to play this relationship between the two of them is if that was something that Asajj maybe hadn't discovered about herself or she'd never been maybe seen as attractive and... Quinlan uses that maybe to try to throw her off guard, not really meaning it at first, and then it evolves into something. I think that might have been a little bit more believable to me of how they connect it. Absolutely. I, I would absolutely agree. Yeah, I can't argue with that. That's that's solid logic, my man. <laughs> it's the degrees. What can I say? So what did you guys think about the whole – I mean the 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 – arc, if you want to call it that, I guess, of Quinlan in this. We have Admiral Enigma. Interesting name. Kind of a goofy name. Um, probably something that Mieber Gaskin came up with. Uh, General Mieber Gaskin, or whatever he is now. Um, but I gotta say, the idea of him being able to explore the dark side, to fight against it, certainly makes sense with the tropes that we've seen before. The idea of him wanting to take out the Sith by essentially becoming one of them, by needing Dooku to get close to Sidious. Makes sense to me. The idea of him wanting to rid them of the threat of the Sith so that the Clone Wars could end so he could be out of some of his obligations. Her threat from Dooku, that could end. She could be out of that obligation. That makes sense to me. It just seemed as though, as we went along, especially as we got to the point where we see Quinlan uh, as Admiral Enigma, and then they do the rescue attempt, and it turns out that he's actually not on the bridge. He's in a cell and appears to be a prisoner. They get him out of there, but then when they wind up going after Dooku, when he meets Dooku face-to-face and thinks he's alone, he acts like buddies until he then attacks Dooku and intends to kill him and is told, hey, well, you're going to need an audience to meet with Sidious. Um, And by the end... I really didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was doing what was best for us. What still confuses me with that arc is at what point is he like, is he working for the Jedi? Is he working for Dooku? I mean, the only thing that to me 
makes a logical explanation of it is the idea that he's almost like a double agent. Like he's playing both sides against the middle because, you know, I only got one team and it's me and her. It's not the Jedi. It's not the Sith. Because it feels like that arc, it's like it skips a beat or something partway through it. It's satisfying for her. It gives... His arc is strong enough to bring her to where she needs to be. I agree with Mark. It's her story. But... I don't know, it feels like there's a there's a missing piece in there or, or something got misaligned. Were you guys see that same feeling? I felt like it was like what Anakin should have done. You know, it was like when he had that moment of it's not the Jedi way and, and we got to keep the secret and stuff. It felt like Quinlan was just going like, you know, to hell with it. I, I walk. I will walk for you. You and me. That's all that matters. will go. And so I felt like there was that angle at play that that he was keeping things close to himself, his his you know, inner vest because that was what he wanted, but he didn't want to give that up. And he knew that if he'd let her know that there might've been some way for Dooku to find that out because, you know, the two of them had a relationship before as well. So, you know, the way that plays in, plus there's the angle of, you know, how he came to where he is by the time he's Admiral Enigma with the darkness, you know, when she takes him to Dathomir and, and, and he goes up against the ancient and, and all that stuff to, to come against something of the dark side. That's so immense and old and powerful like the ancient. I, I kind of almost wonder if that had to change his views on evil in general. I mean, when you're like, well, you know, yeah, the empire is bad, but like this thing, I can't even explain it. I agree with you, Nathan. I think for this to be, flow better they either needed to add something to kind of explain this back and forth and kind of what quinlan was thinking at what point was he aiming for what or they needed to cut it down because it felt like they just kept bouncing back and forth i mean how many times did she go back to try to either attack dooku or rescue quinlan i mean it just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and I, I I it took me two reads to really get a solid feel for this Michael <laughs> sorry sorry Michael wants to wants to take that Admiral Enigma and punch him a few dozen times yeah so places I just yeah I just didn't want to jump on on this topic precisely but I, I gotta talk about the name Admiral Enigma for, yeah, I, I need to talk about the name Admiral Enigma for a second. Was Captain Minion and Lieutenant Bad Guy already taken? Like, why? That I I like neither part of that name, and uh, because I think, like I said, Enigma is just juvenile and silly to me. Um, which I mean, okay, for Clone Wars, fine, but. Isn't this this isn't supposed to be a young adult novel, right? Well, the one thing I think was cool about Enigma was that, you know, Enigma is a riddle and you're kind of wondering, like, what's going on with Voss? Is he an agent, double agent, triple agent, four way agent? Who knows? Yeah, I I mean, like, I get that. And like I said, I, if if this was said to be, OK, this is a young adult novel, I'd be like, OK, well, I'll give it a little bit of a break. But then the other part is the whole Admiral thing. And I. It, like at no point did he seem to represent an admiral. It was just like a a title that you know. I, I feel like that uh, either Katie Lucas or, or um, Christy Golden one said, um, "Let's see, what's a rank admiral? That's kind of high. We'll make him that." And not thinking about that, the fact that okay, well, an admiral is actually above an entire fleet, you know, and they oversee a fleet. It's like 
spaceships nah we're we're gonna be seeing him down on the ground it's like that's not what an admiral does so <laughs> they they showed him as leading a fleet uh it's just that when they finally go to the command ship to try to get him it turns out that he's not actually the one sitting in the command chair when they do it but, but the thing the broadcast and stuff that they're seeing the things that we get out of i guess it's right after that time jump in the story where it goes forward a few months uh that, I think, lends its, itself to fitting the term Admiral, but I think the Enigma part, that's the weird one. I mean, is he supposed to be the Riddler or something? Is it <laughs> Enigma? Uh, uh, unless, I, the only thing I could think of is either they wanted to keep it a theme. We have General Grievous, so here's Enigma, right? They gotta beef up the cool names that fit the positions because Dooku just sounds like somebody took a crap. Uh, or, probably more likely... Uh, it could have, I mean, the rest of the galaxy probably not going to recognize him. They don't know Quinlan Voss from Corto Voss. Oh, wait. Um, sorry, bad Legends joke. Um, <laughs> but they, the Jedi would. So calling him Admiral Enigma and not letting it, anything be known about him, so the news is constantly playing up how big and a mystery this man is, it's kind of like Dooku turning to the Jedi and flipping both birds at them like, I got your boy! He's mine now! Suck it! Well, and Admiral Trench, too, was was a power in the Confederacy, and, you know, he was an admiral as well that had rose to the rank where the public was like, uh-oh, it's Admiral Trench. And I think that that was the wordplay that they were working on, too, was like, who is Admiral Enigma? Well, he's pushing the Republic back on all fronts! The Separatists can't be stopped! I mean, I, I think it was all for the propaganda machine of the in-universe side of things. It makes you wonder if Enigma, then was even a separatist name for him. If it's the name Quinlan used or the name that Dooku used, or if it's just he's this mysterious admiral and they decided to come up, the media came up with a name for it, kind of like, we call him the Blur. Actually, it's going to be Superman. That kind of thing. <laughs> no, Nathan, that's exactly what I was thinking, is that maybe he didn't give himself that name and Dooku didn't give himself that give him that name. The media, because they there's this new admiral and they don't know anything about him. They don't know where he came from. He's keeping himself to himself. I mean, obviously, I don't recall in the book if they said that there, there was any real media coverage or pictures of him. So the, the Republic, uh, I guess, galactic news organizations could have just labeled him Enigma because it's a big question. Right. That's how I was thinking that – you know that they uh, Saj, I believe, uh, found out like she saw it uh, in in the that thirteen thirteen bar. Maybe um, seems like you know it, she did see it on a, a hollow cast or whatever. So the media created the legend of Admiral Enigma. Here's your choose your own adventure moment, listeners. If you're on the far right, <laughs> damn it, MSNBC, or if you're on the far left. Damn it, Fox News! Now ends your Choose Your Own Adventure segment. Well, you know, one of the weird, weird things was this. Was, I was going back and forth between in print and audiobook, and while I was listening to the audiobook, I was following along. And Mark Thompson, I believe it was Mark Thompson, uh, when he gets to the part where they get to most Eisley Cantina in the book, it's references Chalum's Cantina. And I was like, whoa, wait, what? And I had contacted Delray to find out, you know, hey, what? exactly you know how does this work is is one copy different than the other because 
even the advanced review copy said it was just the most icely cantina. So of course they sent me the people that did the audiobooks and I didn't hear anything else about it, but I was interested. Like, you know, how did that come about? How did Shalom? I mean, that's a distinctively legend slash EU name and background for that cantina to find its way into the audiobook of all things. I was like, oh, weird. So an interesting thing actually popped up in relation to that in the Star Wars. Absolutely everything you need to know. Presumably before The Force Awakens, because it says Journey to Force Awakens, which is a, a great little quick fun reference book, but doesn't actually do anything to prepare you for The Force Awakens, because it barely covers anything relating to it. Um, but in it, it has a spread called The Rogue's Bar, which is about the most Eisley Cantina. And it notes in there that Ruhr, right, the bartender, is the owner at least when we see it in A New Hope. But it also has a little in-numbers data box, which notes that there have been two cantina owners since the Clone Wars. So it makes me wonder if, since you get that reference to Kalman, maybe Kalman the Wookiee did own the bar at some point, maybe during the Clone Wars, and now Wuor owns it, or maybe they're trying to write him out of existence, and it's simply the most icy cantina owned by Wuor, and there's this other cantina owner that doesn't exist as far as we know, or maybe one of the characters we saw in the bar in the Clone Wars and just never realized was supposed to be the owner. Mm -hmm. But they're certainly rewriting some of the history of that bar, just like they rewrote the history of Foam for this. Another reason why I'm glad this is something that is story group canon that we don't have to try to shoehorn also into Legends like we did with, say, Son of Dathomir because it was based on old Clone Wars scripts. This, they definitively said, is just the one. So Foam gets to keep living on at least until his actual death and Calman still gets to have his canteen. Nice. You know, you had mentioned earlier uh, Yoda having that special ability when we were talking about souls. It's on page 247, uh, chapter 34. Yoda talks, in his heart, darkness I found. Yoda said sadly, deep, secret, powerful. The history of items, does the force permit Voss to understand? History of a soul. Does the force permit me to understand? Unacceptable in a court of law, it is. But of lying, no Jedi will accuse me. What? I think that was everybody's reaction upon reading that part of the book. All of a sudden, Yoda can read your soul and is a little green lie detector. Yeah, well, and that whole scene happened not even on the page. It was after the fact. It was like, oh, and by the way, yeah, Quinlan came and touched me and I, and I touched him back. Like, wait, what? What are you doing with Jedi in your back room? Again, with the sexual references. Oh, wait, that wasn't one. Oh, wait, <laughs> yeah, ne- next, was, you're was... gonna, next you're going to say Yoda's a member of the Catholic Church? No, I'm... Dirt! See, no, I wasn't, <laughs> even there. I wasn't going to continue that, that particular guy. It's, it's a whole new era. But but so so there was that there were a couple angles of the Jedi that were at play like okay Mace Windu and Kai Hadamundi clearly these are the big you know let's just let's just off them all like that was like their answer to everything there was a moment where Kenobi is pleading for Voss saying you know that that Voss was tortured by the dark side and stuff which. I was cracking up because I'm like, unlike Anakin, who all but embraces it with open arms. Like, you know, it's like here he is just pleading with the council because they're all but ready to exterminate him. I'm like, man, these guys are some harsh, but it's Windu. It's always Windu pushing first. And Yoda is kind of like the last voice. It's like once Yoda says it's okay, everybody's like, well, okay, boss is, boss is thrown down. We got to do it now. Uh, boss, well, come in here and lay your head on this block. That totally fits Mace, though. I mean, Mace's thing in Revenge of the Sith, you know, it's, he's too dangerous to be kept alive. Mace's immediate thought is, we gotta end this threat. 
And if that means going about it in a non-judicial means because he controls the courts and we can't trust the system, fine. Kill him. In the threat, we'll deal with the fallout from it later. So so it made for kind of an interesting connection there and totally consistent, I thought, with Mace's character. Segway. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that I wanted to bring up was Bosk capturing Dooku. Um, I mean, did, did that kind of present a problem for any of you guys or did you just accept it and say, OK, that makes sense? It was like a team effort, really. I mean, I, I don't know if I felt like it was just Bosk alone, but I don't know. I, I thought it was a good opportunity. And I, I think that was one of those moments where I, I definitely felt the TV show's influence. I was like, oh, OK, Boba Fett and his crew. OK, yeah, we're, we're having their tie into the story. All right. So, I mean, I guess I can lean on, on what Jonathan was saying earlier about some of the parts felt like they were just there to be there and that was one of them but i i think that was because it was in the original script they were like well let's flesh that out more we're in a book now you know dooku he's a tough guy to capture if you're a jedi but if say you're hondo onaka's pirates (laughs) you're 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 good you can you can get him and then you can drug the jedi with drinks they apparently never drank so one other thing too was, was desh the character desh who was introduced in this it was a character that I thought was kind of interesting because there was this relationship between Desh and Voss kind of mirrored what was going on with Kenobi and Voss. And I was kind of at points wondering what he was there for. We had a prologue at the beginning of the book that also dealt with his species on the planet and their stinger. And I'm kind of like, I kept thinking back to that going, what was the point of that? You know? And as we get to later in the book where we have that moment where they're all escaping together and Voss has to go up against his own brothers and stuff. I'm like, that was a really cool scene. There was a moment where Cody is talking to Desh even about the aspect of what had happened to Voss, where he's like, I'd rather have my brother seduced by the dark side than turn traitor, you know? And when they get to that moment where Voss has to stand up to help Dooku escape and he has to turn on the Jedi order and the confrontation between Desh and Voss and Desh's death, the way that tied into the prologue, I I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but for me, that was like one of those last bits of the puzzle kind of satisfaction moments for me when that happened. I was like, oh, now the prologue makes sense. And it added to what happened for Desh and the sacrifice that Desh being for Voss. Like there were so many angles at play there. And, you know, when you get to the point where Voss is being redeemed, you're like, well, you know, I still have to hold myself accountable for Desh's death. You know, I, I murdered a fellow Jedi. And there was a lot of deep stuff going on in that aspect that, you know, I, I said before the book's Asajj's story, but when you get to the end, it's like, Voss is the last one standing. And so they come back to those things and Voss has to live with all that stuff. Getting back to what Jonathan said about, you know, once you go down the dark side forever, it'll dominate your path. He will always live with the fact that he is responsible for Desh's death. Not only that, but how can the rest of the Jedi order, I mean, forgive him for that. I mean, how do you come back from that? How, how do, how do the other, the the surviving Jedi trust him? knowing that he's responsible for the murder of two Jedi. Yeah, willing to do it for the greater good, as it were. I think what you're getting there is, on the one hand, the Jedi trying to not look at themselves as different than others in the galaxy. You know, you you, people die in war. Uh, We're not going to hold the death of a Jedi anymore uh, as something against this person than if they had killed innocents, which he apparently did as Admiral Enigma, so if we're going to forgive him that, we got to forgive him this. I also wonder if to some degree they're going for 
almost the, the Christian perspective, the idea of essentially being forgiven as a clean slate. And if the Jedi in their dogma are going to be willing to let him back in, they should forgive everything. But you're right. It's, it's one of those things where to some degree you can say, well, uh, I'm not sure that the guilt he's carrying around should really be punishment enough. But I think it's their version also kind of of a temporary insanity defense. Well, he, he went to the dark side while that was happening. He's a different person now that he has returned, very much like the idea of, you know, Anakin is gone, now he's Vader. Uh, and, and sort of separating them as if they're two people somehow, rather than one person with one uh, past to follow. But as far as, as Desh, I like the emotional impact that it had on Quinlan. It gives Quinlan something other than just the death of Asajj to be anguishing over. It gives him something that he has to live with for the rest of his life that isn't about sacrifice. It was flat out murdering his friend. But also, though, as cool as the emotional resonance was for him, it was one of those things where when I step back, Mark said, you know, oh, how do we tie the prologue into this? This is where that connection is. I have to take that higher view than that and say, oh, the idea of the stinger in that scene was the only reason this entire species was created. <laughs> There's that too. For this book, for that scene, which... To me, that feels... I mean, it, it makes sense. Lucas does that plenty, and the Clone Wars has done that plenty, where they just kind of create a species for something. Same thing we get with the books. You fit whatever is needed for the story, but it is kind of heavy-handed to create an entire brand new species just so you can have a scene with the Stinger thing uh, and basically making him the Jedi Bumblebee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not in the Transformers way, either. Any other issues to hit? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see that in the, the section. Yeah. Uh... What were what was the one I wanted to use next? I hated Dark Disciple because. Well, oh god, yeah. Um, what well, we sound like we all hate as critical as we're being. <laughs> it's my fault. I'm. I am. Uh, not not my... hating on it enough. We're having to fill in the gaps. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. but I'm with you. I mean, this this as much as Mark and Nathan tout this book, I, I think it's got some real weaknesses. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I think it, it's got weaknesses. I think the weaknesses, though, in the storytelling are weaknesses we would have seen in the episodes of the show. So to some degree, I kind of just chalk those up as, well, that's just Clone Wars weaknesses, and we're kind of used to certain weaknesses. How does the book carry over in a Clone Wars sort of way, and what's the emotional impact of it, I guess? that I think that, to me, is, is what is it is. is do we get closure? Do we get the emotional impact, which we'll talk about at the end of the episode here? Um but in a lot of ways, all these little things that we're hitting, these little nitpicks in some respects and bigger issues in others and inconsistencies, they're not unique to this arc or this book. They're kind of a Clone Wars thing. So it's an innate flaw is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You said that in a non-Butler sort of way, in which meant you actually used less words. <laughs> a Lucasism? Than going crazy with verbiage. So, something else that I hate about the book. Um, Don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> the, so, just the whole... I mean, we, we touched on this earlier, but the whole uh, relationship in general uh, between Voss and uh, Asajj, like, I never got why 
he was in love with her. Like they never to me gave a convincing argument to why he was in love with her other than like, Oh, I stared at her derriere. So I'm like, okay, so basically they're both incredibly shallow and this is just a physical thing because I never got anything other than that. I felt like I was beat over the head with the fact that she's attractive. You're going to think she's attractive. And he gets there and goes, Ooh, she is attractive. And it's like, we're in love now. Let's go be Sith. It almost seems like the bounty hunter time, that month or three months or however long it was where they were partners, was like that was supposed to be when we were like the light bulb coming on, like, oh, they're becoming. But you're right. I mean, it was done subtle enough that, you know, it's almost like if you missed a page, you were like, wait, they're in love now? What? What happened? Yeah, it was like a montage in a book. Exactly. If this was the Clone Wars episode, it would have been a montage. <laughs> inside the episode yeah. uh, with, with some catchy 80s type music in the background. Uh, I think though that we're mi- we are missing some respects here because yes, there's that time but there are those moments where they have conversations. I think it's actually before he reveals his true nature that she turns out to already know. Where he'll go they'll have a conversation that's supposed to be more about her and he'll go back into his quarters to sleep and is wrestling with those ideas. Like, like identity, you know, who am I? Uh, uh, who am I without this structure that I thought was everything? Is there really a me? And, and all those sort of self-reflective things, it seems like to some degree she's going through them more overtly. But he starts to question himself and is going through them more internally. And that gives them something to draw them together. In a way, they're both people who are their master's died. They were set adrift. Uh, Quinlan has stayed with the Jedi. She did not. Now they're both sort of trying to find their way, and they're finding themselves drawn together through this shared experience now. Uh, It's that idea, you know, they, they say opposites attract. True. But there has to be some commonality to draw people together in the first place. Common interest, common whatever, common sense of humor, perhaps. So, in a sense, that's what we're getting here with these two. They get those every so often gives us something to give us a sense that they're sort of thinking about things the same or something one of them is saying is is causing them to think deeper about themselves that gives us a sense that this is starting to happen. And then, yeah, throw in the montage, skip ahead, and they're drawn much more back together as it would. Which, which again, to some degree, relies on a visual storytelling style um, that obviously we don't get here because it's prose, making me wonder, yeah, to what degree did Christy Golden actually go in and alter what already existed to fit novel form more? Or was it more a matter of sticking with the scripts as they existed and every so often uh, giving us new insights into the characters through the thought process that we otherwise wouldn't have gotten? I'd love to know what the process was and to what degree Katie Lucas was involved in any discussions of deeper motivations as the writing was going on as opposed to from the original script. Mm-hmm. You know, another interesting thing, too, is when Kenobi actually had Dooku and them in custody, no one expected Kenobi to assassinate him. <laughs> like, wait, what's with the double standard for Port Voss? Like, no, you've got to kill him. But hey, Kenobi, you can do whatever you want. And then on top of it all, when they get to Coruscant, why the hell wasn't every high council member there to meet Dooku and Voss? Like, that just threw me off so bad. I was like, wait a minute. They're clearly going to escape. You guys are letting them go with clone troopers? They didn't make it all the way to Coruscant, did they? They, I don't think they really left the battlefield very long. I mean, after they captured Voss and Dooku and brought them back to the ship, I don't think, I mean, they didn't even, they barely made it out of the landing bay. Yeah, they didn't make it all the way back. 
Oh, well, that would explain a lot, because I was like, my goodness, man. But seriously, if the idea is that you're sending Quinlan to go kill Dooku, and there's a chance he's going to be a traitor, and you're going to be able to get Obi-Wan and Anakin in the same room as Dooku, maybe y'all better have a little bit more backup planned. I'm thinking some clones, maybe some more Jedi, uh, some of those bounty hunter buddies, the visage, or, you know, something. Uh, but again, that's the way... A really big... A really big bomb. <laughs> that's the way, though, we think about it. Surely that's the way it was going to be told on screen. Why? Number of new character models or number of character models being animated at once, perhaps. Can I ask one question, though, before we get too far? And I apologize if this is something you guys covered when I had to step away. But the characterization of Dooku in this story, it it also seemed a little bit off to me. And also his abilities... Either Anakin and Obi-Wan are not as strong as I guess I perceive they were, or Quinlan is just seriously badass that he's able to overpower Dooku the way he is. And and basically, Dooku's almost dead at the end of this book. It was just from the crash, though. There's been a few times where Dooku's on the line where you're like, oh, man, unconscious and (laughs) at their mercy. And you're like, wow, for people who want to kill this guy, he's really skating. I think that what you got in that case, I I think his characterization in terms of how he acts is perfectly consistent with what we got with the rest of the Clone Wars, probably because it was written in the process of the rest of the Clone Wars. Um, But to some degree, yeah, there's some question, why would he? be willing to work with Quinlan. Well, maybe he feels like he's going to have someone to replace Asajj. Maybe. Um, does he really have that powerful of force lightning to be able to take out Asajj even while he is wounded? Um, how powerful is Quinlan to be able to face off with Dooku when Anakin and Obi-Wan had trouble uh, doing it and Obi-Wan gets tossed and knocked down? It's up to Anakin to end it. Are we saying that Quinlan isn't equal to Anakin, etc., etc.? Does the dark side change it? I think what we're seeing here, there's a lot of questions that raises, but I wonder if it's just what you might call the Star Killer effect with The Force Unleashed, or with any book, right? You have to make the hero of the book or the primary focus of the book truly heroic, and if you're going to send them against villains who are particularly badass, based on what we know of them from other sources, you got to ratchet up the power level of your protagonist. So if you're going to send a, a secret apprentice against Vader... Galen Merrick, Starkiller for The Force Unleashed, is going to have to be crazy powerful. But then there's a question, well, how does he compare to Luke? Why was he able to do this? But blah, blah, blah. Same thing I think here. You have to ratchet up the power level of Asajj to some degree, although we at least saw her against Dooku a few times. Uh, And Quinlan, based on at least what we would know of him, just as a standard Jedi Master, as far as we know in this saga, this version of the saga, uh, in order to keep the tension there, but that affects the rest of the storytelling consistency. That that makes sense that it's a, I think it's a storytelling tool, not so much that they were intending the, the, the imbalance of power contradiction. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, I wanted to bring something up too. Now you were talking about Dooku and um, you know how he was at the end of the book, but wasn't he captured at the end of the book or did I miss? No, no he, he escaped. Yeah. He escaped okay. in all the turmoil. Okay, for some reason, I, I guess I just missed that because I was like, okay, if he's still captured, that's a 
big problem because now you've got to write another book about how you know or, or you need to do something else is how well dooku escaped at this point and it's like that's an issue but okay no no, no. if we're gonna draw the force unleashed comparisons you don't have to finish that story force unleashed 2 left vader in custody and never explained a damn thing <laughs> yeah it, it's it's Chapter 42. It had been a long, excruciating few months. Voss had held Ventress in his arm afterwards. How long, he did not know, but at some point he heard blaster fire, and Obi-Wan Kenobi shouting his name, calling for help. Voss had gone, and the three Jedi fought together as, yet again, Dooku eluded capture. And of course, you know, then it goes on from there talking about how Voss was all doing it to get close to Sidious. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, th- there was a moment there at the end where a lot of things kind of seemed to wrap up really fast. But yeah. I like that they jumped forward months the way they did. Because, like, had they been like a day or a week, I'd have felt like that was really forced and rushed. But the months added to, like, okay, well, they're catching you up really quick because months have gone by. And you find out that, you know, she was put in stasis, so her body was still preserved, so she's in a rotting, creepy mess when you're getting rid of the body. <laughs> So, I mean, but it was a moment where I was kind of like, whoa, whoa, why are we jumping so far? And then, of course, you know, you're like, oh, okay, book's over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that, too. Like I said, it it all started to get up to the little, I guess we'll call it the uh, the funeral portion of the book that it just like right before that. It's just like, okay, this, then, then, this, then, this. And like, okay, boom. <laughs> you're like, wait, what? You yeah. Know. See, for me, some of the most impactful books that I've ever read are the ones that get me to sob uncontrollably. And when I was reading the, the last two chapters of the book, I was reading it out loud in the car on a long trip and I was getting emotionally. So when I was reading Voss's lines, I mean, I was just rolling with it. I was just sobbing. Hysterically. I look over my wife's crying. My daughter in the back and crying. I'm like, wow, this is a good book. But for me, that's, that's one of the things that I really dig about a good star Wars book is that emotional connection to a character and, and having it impact me outside the book yeah I can't remember the last Star Wars book that necessarily had me choked up there are moments of the tingly feeling like whoa like for instance in Rebels watching that uh, you know kid I'm about to let everyone in on the secret and knowing what Kanan is giving up to be able to get back into that life and try to save the others and so forth having read A New Dawn and whatnot. but this book by the time we got to the end of it the, the final moments here there's the conversation uh, it stands out here not to go through all the narration, just the lines. Um, he, Quinlan has almost been killed by Dooku. Dooku manages to fire the blast. It hits Asajj, and she's in the process of dying, and the re- realization has hit her that um, there's no way to save her. And uh, Voss finally says, Asajj, you were right. I, I did fall to the dark side, and I've been there this whole time. I just, I didn't know. You lied to yourself. That's why I couldn't tell. I love you, he says. I never stopped, not for a moment. And she says, I know, but you did stop lying. Remember, you always have a choice to be better. You always have a choice to pick the right path, even if that choice comes a little late. And always remember that I loved you with all my heart. He says, he had known, he says, I will, which I I found kind of fitting, obviously that's, one of the things that the U.S. we tend to do instead of I do oftentimes, it's I will. Um, and he finally says, Asajj, begging, Asajj, please don't go. Because I have to go, Quinlan. It's my time now. My sisters are waiting. He begs her again, please, please don't. And her last line is to essentially remind him of who he is while also saying goodbye. You must let me go, my love. It's the Jedi way. 
And shit, I could barely get through the line this time. Yeah. Saying it. <laughs> um, that to me, that's probably one of the most impactful emotional moments we've gotten in a Star Wars story. I would say in years, I would dare say perhaps in decades. It hit me on an emotional level that I'm not used to seeing uh, in a Star Wars book. And I hadn't really realized, I guess, to that point, to what degree we had really been invested in Asajj, thanks to the Clone Wars. If you had asked me if I would ever, you know, almost shed a tear over the loss of Asajj Ventress, maybe back when they were airing season one or two of the Clone Wars, or if you had asked me about how did I feel about, you know, the emotional impact of her original quasi-redemption and leaving the battlefield back in the previous version of the Clone Wars in Obsession, I would have said, <laughs> you're out of your freaking mind. Not this character. Never this character. Then again, I guess I would have said the same thing initially about Ahsoka when she rubbed me the wrong way to start with. But this ending for Asajj hit me on a heavy level, and I think as many small nitpicks and smaller inconsistencies we can see throughout the book, the story was fun to read, and then getting to this point as the ending is like that final, you know, it's, it's that final thing that puts it way beyond what I expected, and it, it makes me love the book. Um, the fact that we then get to see sort of the denouma of, of everything, where we get to see that her being taken back to Dathomir, a conversation between Obi-Wan and Quinlan, the two people who probably knew her best out of the Jedi, being able to talk about it. Um, I don't know. For for all intents and purposes, this was the satisfactory conclusion for Asajj Ventress's arc that began in Clone Wars that I never thought we'd get. And we got it. This is why it's a Clone Wars fans must read, I think. Well, I, I think you guys are a bunch of sissies, just to be honest. <laughs> you know, Mike, I think I'm with you because I I didn't I was I'm listening to you two and I'm going, really? I, I didn't yeah, I'm sorry, but I, yeah. I'm glad Nathan read the lines. I'd have been <laughs> You know, I mean I do think that the, that last part when basically when they get back to Dathomir, I do think that was well written and I enjoyed it, but I couldn't I couldn't really invest in it emotionally at that point because of everything that come to it. And, you know, the one thing that I've just uh, figured out, you know, reading this book is um, I thought, okay, well, I guess if you are a uh, if, if you're basically going back to the light side from the dark side, then the only words that you can say are no. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about right now? <laughs> no, yeah. I, uh, it, uh, so that was just it was so where all of a sudden uh, you know she's like no, no, no. And I'm like what? What's? I'm like is she like going against him? Like what's going on? And then you're like oh she's okay. She's went to the the light side and and then she's like trying to save him from Dooku and, and it's like it's basically the exact same scene from uh return of the jedi now with with the added nose and at that point i, th I think i was just out i was like no 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 <laughs> set it down and walked away You're like, like, that was it. <laughs> forget this i'm done <laughs> you know there are, i've seen some arguments that, that people made that 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 the way that it ends that essentially it's it's the love they had it saves quinlan because she saves him out of love, so saves his life, but then, you know, he's brought back to the light, essentially, by the love and the realization of what he's been doing and, and, and how that affects him. And then 
Obi-Wan goes on to talk about how, well, it, I think it also saves the Jedi Order because it's going to turn us away from assassinations and so forth. And the argument <laughs> yeah, has been, you know, um, that goes a little too far. I'm not sure that that relationship would have made uh, uh, the difference in that case. Um, I think that it's... I mean, it's echoing, though, what we see in Return of the Jedi. I mean, Darth Vader is still the evil dark side dude wanting to, you know, control the galaxy as father and son, toss the Emperor, he's going to be the big reeling Sith daddy, literally. Um, He's still the bad dude until he sees his own son on the ground writhing in pain. You know, father, please save me! As the electricity is going across his teeth, which always creeps me the hell out. (laughs) Um, It's that moment where it's the love for the son, period, that takes him back to the light. Uh, His redemption, if it is a full redemption, as we're led to believe, then that redemption comes in a moment of recognizing a pure, loving relationship, in that case, between father and son. And the daughter he never knew. Um, so in that sense, as as much as there's the argument, well, I think it's a little bit of a pat ending for him to be saved by her sacrifice and her love. Ooh, that's like, she lost the will to live. Seriously. <laughs> I would argue that that's perfectly in fitting with what we saw in Return of the Jedi, that that kind of realization can indeed save someone. The difference being, Quinlan lives and now has to, has to change. Whereas Vader never got the opportunity. He sacrificed himself and died. In his case, he was both the redeemed and the sacrifice. Right, right. And and, and that was what I was saying is that it was just for me, I'm like, I've, this is Return of the Jedi. It wasn't so much that I'm like, well, this is, you know, like I can't buy this. It was you're doing the exact same thing. Like you weren't, you weren't digging on the ring theory in this case. <laughs> yeah. That's a, it's, it's, it's all riffs. It's all part of a theme. The same thing's come up over and over. Again. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just Rinse and repeat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, so. one of the interesting things that I'm, I'm curious about as we move forward into an era of the force awakens with the title, the force awakens, the light side and the dark and of those nature. When Quinlan and Kenobi go to Dathomir, uh, Kenobi goes, are you absolutely certain about this, Quinlan? The dark side is very strong within. It is. But for this moment, the dark side's not our enemy. Can you sense it? And then he's like, why not? Says Kenobi. Here, the dark side belongs to the Night Sisters, and we're returning one of their own. I don't know how, but I know it. I do. I believe you, Kenobi says. But it... It's interesting because all the stuff that takes place on Dathomir, you know, they're talking about how it's all steeped in the dark side and all that. And yet when they go there, you know, Kenobi's like trepidatious, but Voss is kind of like, you know, hey, right now we don't have anything to fear from the dark side. And I, I constantly, I wonder, like, are they slipping things like that in on purpose? Are we going to be see something in the newer movies where the light side and the dark side take a more active role in things? Because it seems like that seems to be a direction they're heading. Well, Quinlan seemed to be kind of talking at his butt there. I mean, Quinlan, granted, probably feels more comfortable there because it was her home. And the idea that if the dark side is essentially aggressive, if she was part of this community, maybe it's it's kind of backing off a little bit because they're bringing one of their own home, et cetera, et cetera. But just the, the way he describes it, though, you know, this land belonged to the Night Sisters, as if somehow that makes it better. <laughs> Did you meet Talzin? <laughs> so the real theme of this book is people talking about their butts. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, now I'm on board. Fart disciple. Uh, I like it. No. Okay. 
So, as I said, I thought it was a satisfactory conclusion. Uh, that's that's a loaded phrase, I guess, for <laughs> this show. But I thought that was a satisfactory conclusion for Asajj. Uh, and I'm glad that this was able to be produced this way. I certainly think it's one that all Clone Wars fans should check out. Uh, it's the best, in my opinion, of the novels so far, including Aftermath, although I haven't finished the younger reader ones from Force Friday. Um, so, to you guys, just as a whole, you know, you know, warts and all, would you say that based on the Clone Wars, this was a satisfactory conclusion for Asajj's story arc? Where would you place this in relation to the quality level of the other books we've gotten from story group canon so far? And do you think that it's essential for either Star Wars fans in general or for Clone Wars fans? Kind of our wrap-up thoughts here. Well, while well, I won't say that it had a happy ending, <laughs> I think that it, it was the essential read for characters, especially ones like Asajj Ventress that you like. Uh, for Clone Wars itself, I don't think it does that for the whole series, but it does for those few characters. So I think if, if you're in the realm of liking those characters, you're going to get a lot of bang uh, for your payoff there. Uh, but I don't know. What about the rest of you guys? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say it's an essential read in my mind. I think if you're a fan of Asajj Ventress or you want to know what happens to her, obviously you're going to want to read this book. But as far as adding more to the Star Wars mythos, the the Clone Wars timeline, I don't really get a lot out of it. I think things in a lot of ways are, are left the same at the beginning of this book as they are at the end with the exception of the death of Asajj. And if that's what this book was there for to, to give us the conclusion of the Asajj character, it was fine. But as I said earlier, I think that there's a lot of extraneous information. I think there's a lot of kind of rehitting the same beats. I think it could have been streamlined down and been a much stronger book than what we got. I wanted to ask, and we can kind of throw this to Michael for his final thoughts, and he can add it in, and I'm curious what you guys thought, but um, I was not excited for this book at all, really, when it was first announced. It was probably the least excitement level of any of the books that they had announced early on. I'm curious where that fit versus where your your final thoughts were. Yeah, uh, for me, um, you know, Asajj was my favorite character in, in the clone wars uh anytime you know one of one of the arcs had her in it i was always engaged and, and always enjoyed it so i was really excited for it because you know i'm extremely busy so tarkin and uh a new dawn all of those i skipped you know I, I was just i'm like okay you know it's i'm kind of interested but i don't have the time right now but then when this one was announced i went ahead and, and made sure to grab it so i was really excited about about reading it and everything and uh, honestly I, I kind of just felt like it was wasted time for the most part i you know i feel like that okay sure it adds a uh, a conclusion for Asajj, but then it kind of asked more questions for uh quinlan voss so is it essential if we're going to get more in this era from Voss? Then okay, yeah, I could see that. But if not, no. All you really need to know is Asajj Ventress died, so she's not going to show up in Rebels. You know, Michael, I'm going to have to kind of fall on your side. While I enjoyed it, I 
well, I'd say while I enjoyed parts of this book, I overall don't think it it added much to to the greater story. And to be honest, I think I would have almost rather seen Asaj show up in Rebels and have her fate end there than end here. Mm-hmm. See, I think Celebration Anaheim is where I made the jump over from being where you were, Nathan, not really caring one way or the other to really wanting to see it. After seeing the panels and stuff, the, the little clips that they had that they were going to make the episodes with, it started to have me more intrigued. And then, of course, running into Christy Golden got me a little even more intrigued. And then when we were at the Delray at Star Wars panel, you know, they were talking more about the book and, and some of the things it was going to bring up. And by the time it was over, I was like, okay, this sounds like something I'll be really into and digging on. As for essential, I don't know if it's necessarily essential to any one thing, but I do think that this is the must read of the new books. Uh, I think that this book, for me at least, it, it delivered more of what I enjoyed the most about the legend stories. Um, and that, I think, was was the angle that surprised me the most. Like, I wasn't expecting to see a somewhat darker, dark horse you know, double agent version of Voss show up in Canon. And that's almost what we got. And the the way that they blended those two realities for me worked great. You know, I, I was very aware of the fact that this was a new Voss, you know, he was going to be different than the old one. And yet they stayed true to a lot of what it was about the original Voss that I love so much. And I just found like, this book was like a wine for me. The more I had it in my hands, the more I, I came to like it, the more I enjoyed it. And again, like I said, for me, the emotional impact is really the, the final, you know, jerking on the hook and reeling me in, you know, once I was there and, and I was, you know, feeling the oh no moments, you know, like, like there's a moment where uh, Asajj is telling Voss, you know, don't lie to me again. And the way that her voice comes across with Mark Thompson talking about it, I was just like, oh man, just swallowing back on the tears. Yeah, I'm a boob. I can't help it. (laughs) The only thing I have, it doesn't really fit in anywhere. And I initially, I was like, well, I'm not going to bring that up because it's kind of petty. But I feel like with, you know, with some of the issues that people are having with Aftermath, that I'm a little more uh, vindicating and having the issues with this book. But, you know, the the one thing was I felt like when I was reading it that I was reading a young adult novel. And, you know, OK, so it was it adapted from Clone Wars. So that kind of makes sense. But like I said, it just it kept annoying me that that it wasn't uh, stated as such. And then another thing were the chapter breaks. I don't know if, if this guy's if this bothered you guys as much as it did me, but I would get so annoyed that we would have a point of view change and then it could literally be as little as you know a couple paragraphs later or you know a page or two later and then we would get a new chapter change and i'm like why did you not just do the chapter change there and like for me that's very frustrating because i, I think that okay chapters exist for a reason let's make sure that we're kind of tying them all in together and it was just sort of like they you know just threw a through darts at the book and said all right that's where the chapter breaks are going to be See, I could see that, but I was thinking it was more, you know, that the chapter breaks not lining up like you're suggesting is more like, okay, the stuff that happened in this chapter are more in like the first three weeks and the stuff that happens in this next chapter, they're, you know, two weeks later. You know, I, I don't know. I saw the chapters more as the, as part of the definitive time measurement of the book, you know, because it seemed like after a new chapter, it would be like, and then a couple months have passed. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I, 
you may be right on that, but I, I was thinking that it would like basically that would get a new chapter in the middle of a scene. Yeah, you're like, okay, now I'm just thrown off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just like, wait, why didn't like we just started this scene? Why, you know, why didn't we put this chapter break before the start of the scene? You know, and 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 I may be rem- remembering that incorrectly, and you may be right. It, it may have been, you know, there for the time shift. But I would, you know, it'd be like, okay, we're gonna have it focus on Obi Wan, and you've got like six pages of of Obi Wan. It's like, and then we're gonna go back to Asajj, and here's a page, and oh, chapter break, and then we're right back to Asajj. It's like we didn't need a commercial break here. Like, let's just keep going. We know, as far as the breaks of the story are concerned, I think the one thing we can all agree on is that at least after, say, the first, I don't know, two pages, it didn't stop and then open up with one of those little things you can get in a greeting card and go, (laughs) scare the hell out of us. You're never going to let that go, are you? Never. (laughs) Until they do it like they did a few times where the music actually just continues through it as long as they're blaring and scaring the crap out of me and my headphones keep up my friend <laughs> I would again agree with Mike uh, I'm sorry I would agree with my Michael and it seems like he and I are seeing very similar things in this book that the those transitions and the way that things were broken up they're very jarring some they were very very jarring sometime and it you know, I think I both times I read this book, I I had to kind of go back to see where where I was because it it wasn't very fluid. <laughs> the the only other thing, and this I think would probably fit almost like a almost after the show even, but the the whole thing, like the way that I I described the the whole. Asajj being sexy now is like a a 10 year old girl watching a PG-13 movie and then thinking she knows what sexy is and she's going to explain it to an 8 year old girl (laughs) what the there's a part of me that totally understood that there's a part of me that's sitting here slap jawed like <laughs> yeah, it just—it's like when Asajj is like, "Oh, well, I'm gonna do what?" What did she call it when she's like talking about the how, whole gambit? Yeah, and she like explained is like she like rubbed her her arm down or whatever, and I'm like, that is so bad. That is so cheesy, you know. Quinlan wouldn't know any better. I know, but and that's what I'm saying. It's just like a little, you know, a little eight year old. It's like, well, what is sexy? And then the ten year old's like, it's like this. And then the eight year old's like, oh, you know so much. And then an adult's like, oh my god, these kids are idiots. Nathan, you should. And in which case, he's excited, right? Nathan, you should totally know this. You worked in a middle school, for gosh sakes. <laughs> I didn't work. I worked in a high school, though. I work with middle school students right now but yeah there's from a developmental standpoint yeah it's i didn't see it that way i just kind of saw it as them being very ham-fisted with trying to make us think that she's something that she was never really presented as before because the story needed it i hadn't really thought about it in terms of (laughs) children talking about it maybe they all need to go back to a class or something that's why i (laughs) As I said earlier this episode, that I think it would have been much better if the two of them had sort of discovered that, you know, that it started out as kind of an act and it was Quinlan's way of trying to throw her off guard and then it kind of evolved into the truth. Well, you know, Master Kenobi, that Ventress chick, she was all right, but then the pants came off and the dresses came on and I was like, whoa, Ventress. (laughs) 
Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around us as we ponder on. Michael, Jonathan, thanks for coming on once again and sharing your love of all things Star Wars and your not-so-happy review of Dark Disciple with us today. (laughs) Any contact information for you guys uh, to give to the Beyonders out there? Well, I don't know because this is a popular book, so I don't want to give anybody ways to send me death threats. But uh, if you want to, I guess you can always reach me on Twitter, at Morris Isley. I'm also one of the hosts of Cloud City Casino, which is also on the StarWarsReport.com network. And... um, we also have the cloudcitycasino at gmail.com email. Excellent. Jonathan? Well, there are lots of different ways you can reach me. As many of you have heard, I kind of heard the cats over on Rebels Roundtable. And you can always catch me doing my On the Peg segment for Star Wars Action News at SWActionNews.com. Or you can email me at Jonathan at StarWarsFanWorks.com. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars or EU slash legends questions or you just want to fire off about a past episode just email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com now lastly before we go we want to mention you our audible trial if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles, and you can explore the Star Wars, Legends, Universe, or any other genre out there without being stuck with the book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark Whistler. And Nathan. And Jonathan. And Michael. Saying thanks for listening in. May the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we've seen the last of these unproduced Clone War scripts becoming something else. Or the odds that Yoda's going to show up in Episode 7 as a Force ghost going, Kill Kylo Ren, you must! (laughs) (laughs) Hypocrite I am! (laughs) You know what I found by... by, Wait, was that, that... Were you throwing that at me? Yes! Sorry! Um... So, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm confused. Now, before we get too... De- oh. <laughs> Wrong spot! I was about to read the right piece! Yes. So, one question I have about the, the story and how it kind of fits in with what we already knew in Clone Wars was the relationship between Obi-Wan and Quinlan. I got a different sense. Didn't Mark just say he was straight? (laughs) I'm sorry. I'll stop. I'm done.
Yeah, that one's mine. So hold on a sec. <laughs> Keep talking. I'll be back. Okay, tell you what, let me throw a question and you can pick it because it actually ties into what he was like the relationship angle. <laughs> the Pope's calling about your joke. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. I mean, isn't Enigma real? And wasn't the whole book like, what is going on with Voss? Is he good or bad? You just broke up so bad I couldn't make out a thing you said. Recording. <laughs> uh oh. Is it better now? Nope. Son of a. You're underwater. Uh. Okay. Now you might be a little bit good. Try again. Okay. Is this better? Somewhat, yeah. Okay. L- let's give that a whirl again. Chapter 34, Yoda talks, The history of items does not the Force permit Voss to understand. The history of the soul does the Force permit me to understand. Unacceptable. In a court of law is mother of lying. What the f- I gotta find the actual quote. My text-to-speech did not do it justice. <laughs> well, I'm glad I wrote down the page at least. Jesus, that was terrible. Yes, thank you. 247. <laughs> Oh, crap. What is it? Oh, I found it. Like, I found that piece where he did... I don't see where he's... Ex- okay, yeah. It's in his heart. Darkness, I found. Yoda said sadly. Deep. Secret. Powerful. No, to Boss be honest... One? Say that again, Jonathan. I talked over you. Oh, uh, hold on. I got dogs in the background. Well, what was the question again? Because I was talking dirty for a second. <laughs> it's all... That one. Oh, so... <laughs> Nobody all right. heard what anybody was saying. I got an idea. Let's start over. <laughs> Okay. Or something one of them is saying is asked is. <laughs> or something. Bless you. <laughs> now that about wraps. Wait. Bill's <laughs> coming. Bill's coming. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The bald headed, hairless harpy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, I'm also, you know, a part of the, uh, yeah, let me say that again. I'm also, uh, and what did we say it was? Rebels round table at starwarsfanworks.com. Nathan. So what? Uh, <laughs> having a conversation with Jody. What? Uh, no, the, uh, the email that you set up for me. Was it Star War uh, Rebels Roundtable at Star War at Star Wars Fanworks dot com? Oh my god! Jonathan hates Dark Disciple. At you're never gonna find it. <laughs> I I didn't hate it. I just thought it could have been better. I hated it. Not better. I know you did. I, <laughs> and I just <laughs> who used to do that on Saturday Night Live? They hated it. No, that wasn't sent. That was a Living Color, wasn't it? Or Mad TV. Has a, in Living Color, the two guys, the two snaps up in a circle for the movie reviews and everything. <laughs> yeah, that was in Living Color. Okay, okay, I'm looking for what your freaking email address is. You could. <laughs> <laughs> you act as though I actually. You're the one who set it up, man. Yeah, but I don't use. And now, and now you know why you haven't got any email yeah. to it. <laughs> we have Rebels Roundtable at StarWarsFanWars.com, but you've got Jonathan at StarWarsFanWars.com. Okay. Or you can email me at Jonathan at StarWarsFanWorks.com. And write on our own Twitter and Facebook feeds. And Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Somebody's unmuted. You! Uh oh. <laughs> Who is that? Not me. 
it's my little... I call it you! <laughs> I see a chat now. <laughs> yeah. Mute. But he's got a change in battery. So, well. Alright, so I was muted while I was saying that. Um, so, yeah. So, while he fixes whatever he's fixing with batteries, I will. No, it didn't. Michael, what's going on? Guys, so change the guys. Okay, so I'm gonna take a pee real quick. Alright. But I am gonna mute it so that you don't have to worry about hearing that water sound. <laughs> this is this is that moment, Jonathan, where where that ability you were talking about being able to mute the other person would be handy. You'd just be like, okay, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Michael's just cussing at his computer. Why? Why? Wait a minute. No, I can hear everything. Why are you cussing at your computer, man? <laughs> so, Mark, last night when um, I posted that, uh, you know, my comments on Facebook and I was in this parent meeting and I'm kind of checking my phone. It's, it's sort of parent education. And I wasn't presenting at that point. And, and you put to the pig farm, Batman. I started laughing. <laughs> and everybody's looking at me like, sorry, it's nothing. <laughs> Uh, I always think of Snatched when, when Bricktop's talking about the pig farm. Hence the expression, greedy as a pig. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Can <laughs> so we fix now? No. What, what we've noticed, though, is, is Michael's not yelling at his computer or the situation. He's just making noises for like. <laughs> he says that changing batteries. But that was ten. That was ten minutes ago, though. That's true. Yeah, he did just say one sec, so maybe he's just a fast. <laughs> no. Jonathan's like, yeah, whatever. No, I'm just wondering if. You know, when you look at those comments together, I'm wondering what he was changing the batteries in and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of headsets, that uh, Turtle Beach or Shell Beach or whatever, the Rebel oh, one. the uh, Rebel Pilot oh. headset. Oh, that looks so good. It's about the cost of the one that I bought. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I saw that and I'm like, ah, oh, dude, this is like the era of, of outrageous Star Wars gadgets that I'll never be able to afford. <laughs> I, I, uh -huh. It's the mini fridge. I know. I was like, oh, I was I was hoping to live vicariously through you and your mini fridge. It's <laughs> an extra sixty dollars for a mini fridge that only holds like six, small, you know, twelve ounce cans, which is all right. But you know, how is it powered? Is it going to be having the AC thing to be able to put into the into a car, like if you're on a trip? Or something? It just it didn't seem worth it for the. It's the. I think it's the same one they sell at Think Ache. Oh really? And maybe I have no idea. I didn't know. I do like the fact, though, that now um, um, it seems as though with moving targets, we're in a situation where they're not saying, like with Shadows, well, maybe they're saying it because we don't know exactly how much time has passed between Empire and moving target and, and moving target and Jedi, at least not unless it does it later in the in the book but that was seemed weird with imp with shadows it seemed like boba Fett, like, traveling around with han for the hell of it for a while before finally showing up on 
Tatooine to turn. <laughs> hey, can you hear me? Yes. There you go. Hello. Yes, you can't hear us. Can you hear us? <laughs> uh, oh no. <laughs> None of you guys played Destiny, do you? Not yet. No, I don't have the time. There's an exploit. Uh, like, they just introduced a bunch of new stuff this week, and there's an exploit. Can you still hear me? Yes. Yes. You hear the clunking around and stuff. Okay, cool. Of course, we can't know if you're responding. Yes. Yeah, he's responding to the chat. Is he rebuilding it? <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> Busting out the power ring. <laughs> and it's just as expensive as all the other Lego. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about, uh, like I had talked about possibly getting a couple other Lego sets to put with that other one. Since the tie and the X Wing are both 150 if you add it together, which was the cost of a, uh, a Millennium Falcon before I got the little discount that I wasn't supposed to get. <laughs> you know what, uh, Nathan? My suggestion is wait because Toys R Us always has a buy one, get one 40% off. Well, that's not every couple of, it seems like every couple of weeks or maybe every couple of months. We thought we talked about it, thought about it. I'm, right now, I'm leaning towards if there's going to be the money sitting there. We've got a, a deal we can do from Omaha Steaks for a ton of meat for a hundred bucks. <laughs> and my dad did that for us. Was it Christmas last year? Yeah, for Christmas last year. Uh, my dad was like, I don't know what you do, so I'm sending you a box of meat. <laughs> and it was it was awesome. I heard you like Bantha. Yeah, we just didn't like the um, Nerf steak. Hot dogs. That were in it. Hot dogs weren't all that great, but the steaks and everything else was pretty awesome. Steaks and pork chops, well, no. Yeah, she's over there playing. playing. Frozen free ball? No? We playing? She's like, I'm playing, ignore my husband. Yeah. Y'all can still hear me, alright? Yeah. Yes. Okay, can you sorry. hear us? Yes. Sorry. I, um, I have rechargeable batteries, but turns out if you don't actually recharge them, they will not work. <laughs> well, those bats, they never tell you that. I know. I mean, you don't recharge the rechargeable bat. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, they're exploding me again. <laughs> All right. I'm going to I'm going to try to move us along because I want to make sure that we can get in before I get pulled away. Right. How, nice. What's your time for pulled away? I'm not entirely sure. My daughter is out with her friends, and I just, I kind of told her, look, I'm doing this. If you, if one of the other parents can bring you home, great. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's a parent's way of saying screw curfew. Nice. <laughs> All right, everybody mute, and I will rock us. Muting now. Who's not muted? Is that you, Michael? Who is that? <laughs>